Brett, they're really getting confidence now. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to a special episode. Unfortunately, not the happiest of topics, but um, something that we felt deserved some recognition, and we have a story about it, just like everything else. So today, um, we're dropping this episode on the one-year anniversary to the death of Kobe Bryant, his young daughter, and seven other people aboard a helicopter crash. So first and foremost, we want to give a little, you know, moment of silence for his family and just take a minute to, you know, recognize them and probably all the hardship that they've been going through for the past year. And yeah, so aside from that, we're going to have Jer here. Welcome back, Jer. Good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, this is kind of a Somewhat of a somber episode, um, but I think you got to look at the positives too. You know the impact that Kobe Bryant uh, had in you know the NBA, the, the impact that he had on people, uh, and the impact that he's left behind. So uh, uh, you know losing somebody like that—that's an icon—is uh, always hard. But uh, but somewhere there's a silver lining to it, and certainly I think Kobe. Uh, deserves all the recognition that he has gotten over the last year since he's passed away, and uh, and hopefully his legacy will live on forever. Yep, yep, definitely. And you know, hopefully his family's doing okay. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's not easy or never will be. But let's hear the story. Let's get into some Kobe action back in the day. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this was always a a pretty neat deal for me. Um, I talked about this before a little bit. We. Uh, at UNLV, um, when the Thomas and Mack opened up, which is the home of the Running Rebels, an 18,500-seat arena, there was a lot of different events that came through there. Um, everything from, you know, there was pro hockey, there was uh, arena football, there was NBA exhibition games. And as a matter of fact, uh, going way back, um, I want to say it was my first or second year well, it had to be my second year because the Thomas and Mac wasn't open up my first year. It was either my second or third year uh, that the Rebels played in the Thomas and Mac that the Utah Jazz uh, played half of their home basketball schedule in the Thomas and Mac, which was kind of weird. Um, I, I think if I recall, and I don't know specifically, but I, they were trying to get a feel for maybe moving out of Salt Lake City and moving somewhere else and and try to stimulate some fan interest and that type of thing. So uh, they struck an agreement with the with the Thomas and Mac and they uh, they played half of their games uh, at the Thomas and Mac, which was kind of cool. I was a young athletic trainer at the time for the Running Rebels and and certainly um, you know got an opportunity to work with the athletic trainer with the Utah Jazz and I kind of helped them. Uh, when they would come in to practice and play their games and so forth. So uh, it was kind of neat, you know, getting that NBA experience, if you will. Um, so at this time, was Kobe on the Jazz? Oh, no, this was before Kobe. This is way before Kobe. Uh, 
probably Adrian Dantley was a, 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 an All-American at Notre Dame, was on the Utah Jazz. A guy named uh, Daryl Griffin, they called him Dr. Dunk, uh, was from Louisville. Uh, he was on the Utah Jazz. And, uh, oh gosh, there was, I, I, they had a pretty good team. And so this uh, was just your first exposure to like professional athletes yeah, in yeah. an extended period yeah, of time. Yeah, really. And, and, you know, they were a lot of, you know, a lot of fun to work with. And it was kind of a, a, a way for me to get a, a backstage, uh, you know, deal of how the NBA works and how they travel and, and so forth. So it was, it was pretty much fun. There were games that I, and practices, obviously, that I missed because the Rebels were playing and we would be on the road. But uh, but for the most part, uh, I got to see quite a bit of their season. And I actually sat on the bench. Um, and that story is uh, back when Kareem – so this is the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar years with the, uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which a lot of people may or may not know, obviously set the, the NBA scoring record, I think which people know that, the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. But he set that record at the Thomas and & Mack. And, cool. uh, and I remember sitting on the end of the bench, and, he, and he, he, he had his famous hook shot, and he took it down on the end where I was sitting. And the next day in USA Today, my picture uh, <laughs> was there, as Kareem was taking his hook shot on the end of the Utah Jazz bench, nice. which was pretty cool. Was and that like his final, like he set the record shot? Yeah, that was it. I yeah. mean, they stopped the game, place went crazy. You know, the, the arena was sold out. And of course, the Jazz were paying, playing the Lakers. So there was obviously more Laker fans there than there was Jazz fans because yeah. of L.A. And Vegas has always been a big Laker community, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I... I got about 10 copies of that USA Today and I cut them out. I was so <laughs> excited because I got to, I was there, you know, it was like a big moment for me. Uh, and I, and to this day, I can't find any, <laughs> any of them, but. Uh, Probably on the internet somewhere. Uh, somewhere, but uh, you know, it's, it, it was, it was a pretty good deal. And, uh, you know, I got to, to know the, the athletic trainer at the time uh, from the Lakers was a longtime athletic trainer there and so forth. And then, uh, and then moving forward, you know, several years later, um, Gary Vitti, who had a long career with the, the L.A. Lakers as their athletic trainer, and I were, you know, good friends and still to this day are. Um, and um, I used to do the same thing for them. And at the Thomas Samack, we would get every year the Lakers would either play one or two exhibition games at the after. Now, let me go back. Skip. So the Jazz never did stay in Vegas, obviously. They they remained in Salt Lake City. But after that, uh, the Thomas and Mack hosted an exhibition game every year, uh, maybe two in some years, mostly L.A. Lakers. Sometimes they bring in the Sacramento Kings, but somebody that there was a fan interest, uh, you know, for the people in Vegas to come and watch. So I remember Kobe, that. I remember the Lakers always being in town because my friends would be like, can your dad hook me up with Lakers tickets? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's one thing I didn't <laughs> have access to. But um, and, and obviously, those exhibition games really sold like a regular season game because people in Vegas, you know, it was hard to get Laker tickets in L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they, they all came to the exhibition games to see the Lakers. But, um, but Kobe Bryant that year was a rookie. 
And I, I don't recall the exact game. I, I'm pretty sure that it was either his first game as a pro or maybe second game as a pro. Um, and keeping in mind, he was only 18, 19 years old. He was, you know, he came right out of high school to the NBA. Um, so I, you know, was helping, uh, Gary, like I, you know, normally do. And, and, uh, you know, and, and usually I would just stay in the athletic training room and wander out and catch a little bit of the game, then come back. I mean, I, you know, I never really, a lot of times it gave me the opportunity to catch up on some work that I needed to get done for UNLV. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting watching the game and all of a sudden, you know, going back and forth and Kobe, you know, finally got into the game and, uh, he was in. He wasn't in the game very long, and he got poked in the eye really bad. I mean, he took a direct shot in the eye, kind of went down. Um, and so, you know, I went out, and then Gary kind of got him up and walked him over toward the tunnel uh, that leads back to the locker room, <clears throat> and uh, and I met him there. And so I took Kobe. Him and I went back to the locker room and. I would always coordinate the doctors to be at the game, you know, in case we needed one. And fortunately that night, our, our eye doctor, Dr. Craig Hamilton happened to be at the game. So I kind of got a hold of Dr. Hamilton, brought him back into the training room and the game was still going on. So it was just basically myself, Dr. Hamilton and Kobe Bryant uh, in the training room. And, you know, it was a typical eye injury, just, you know, he got poked in the eye and so Dr. Hamilton looked at it. Everything was fine. But, you know, if you've ever been poked in the eye, that hurts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so we put a patch over his eye to kind of calm it down and, you know, probably would calm down by the end of the night. So Dr. Hamilton did his deal. He left. So now it's just Kobe and myself, you know, in the, in the training room. And, uh, and so I was just kind of helping him, you know, get in the locker room kind of get him out of his uniform and get, you know, get his, you know, obviously wanted to take a shower, get his clothes and stuff on and all that. And, you know, when you're in those situations, I mean, I don't know Kobe Bryant and certainly, you know, at that time, nobody could have even dreamed that, you know, Kobe Bryant was going to be the Kobe Bryant that he ended up being. Mm -hmm. um, he was a rookie in the NBA and he could have, you know, easily not been, you know, very good uh, or, he could have been an average player, a journeyman, or he could have been the Kobe Bryant that we all know today, which he turned out to be. Um, but, you know, as we're sitting there, you know, you just want to have casual conversations. And to give you an idea of, you know, where his celebrity was when he passed away compared to that day, I remember, you know, we're talking. I said, so, Kobe, you know, how do you, how do you like L.A.? Because he was from Philadelphia. And he says, oh, I like it. You know, my, my mom, his mom moved out with him because, again, he's 18 years old, mm -hmm. you know, living in L.A. Yeah. Um, my mom moved out with me. It's pretty cool. Everything's cool. He says, you know, it's really crazy. And, and uh, he said, you know, I, I walk around and stuff and, and, you know, I go in restaurants or I go in, you know, grocery stores and you see all these celebrities, you know, and all these celebrities are in L.A. And it's pretty cool, you know, and. And I remember telling him, I'm like, well, you know, Kobe, you're probably going to be one of those celebrities too. You right. know? He kind of chuckled. And then we just, you know, lightheartedly talked about, you know, what it was, you know, missing, you know, are you going to miss your college experience? You know, and I told him who I was and what I did and, you know, working with the running rebels and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, talked about how neat it was to be in college. And I said, but, you know, you, 
it's awesome for you that you have the skills to be at this level. And, you know, I hope everything works out for you. And then we just, you know, sad. I don't remember what the other conversations we had, but pretty much the whole second half of that game, I just sat in there and talked to Kobe Bryant. And, you know, it was really a nice kid. And I say kid because he was a kid then. Yeah. Um, and I never really, you know, after that, never really had the opportunity to run into him again or see him again. I mean, they they played games at the Thomas and Mac and, uh, you know, exhibition games and things like that when during Kobe's time. Um, but I, I don't recall ever running into him again. But it was pretty neat uh, to, to be able to, you know, be present for like Kobe Bryant's rookie season and have an interaction. It was it's kind wild that it's wild to like even consider that somebody can come straight from high school to be a professional athlete at that level. Like just to like, I mean, I know it happens, but just to really like try to put yourself in that situation, like just the talent has to be unreal. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a big, um, and, and I, I looked at some of our, student athletes that, you know, got drafted and went into the NBA. And, you know, from the time they left until after their rookie seasons in the NBA, how much bigger uh, they got. You like know, physically or? Physically, you know. And, uh, and the same thing with Kobe Bryant. I mean, if, if you look, probably look at Kobe Bryant's rookie year and then you put it against where he was his last couple of years, Look at the difference in his shoulders. Look at the difference in how big his arms are, his legs. Um, I is mean, that they, just because like the resources they have with like personal trainers and people like nutritionists and, you know, just giving them more, I guess? I think that has something to do with it. But I think they learn really quick. When you get at that level, you're playing against guys that are, you know, really big, really physical, really strong. And so you you have to develop you know, not only the skill of your game, you have to be a better shooter. You have to be a better passer. You know, you have to do the, do the things that make you better on the court, but you also got to do the things that make you better off the court. You have to be bigger. You have to be, you know, you have to have good nutrition. You have to have proper sleep. I mean, you know, a kid like Kobe Bryant or these young kids that go into the NBA, they mature very quickly. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't, they don't make it. I right. mean, it's a very, very tough business. And uh, and obviously, Kobe did all those things and certainly had a fantastic career. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, so obviously, everybody listen, everybody in the world knows Kobe. Yes. <laughs> you know, and is that, I mean, it's crazy how things like that stick. Was that just because he was just an amazing shooter and pretty much when he put up the ball, it was going to go in or... Well, yeah, and I mean he won world, you know, he won, you know, world championships with the Lakers and I mean he you know when you're good like that and and you you're consistently good over many many years, I mean, you know, people that you know everything from marketing to promoting him to yeah. I mean he was the Lakers, you know, signature player and yeah. uh, they built the whole franchise around him and then you know they brought in Shaquille O'Neal and I mean they had some great great teams but you know, most of the time it was led by Kobe Bryant and, um, and, and, you know, obviously with his success and all the championships that he won, I mean, he'll go down as, you know, one of the greatest players ever to play. Yeah. It would have been amazing to, just as we talked about, um, Tiger and his son in our last episode, it would have been amazing to see his daughter Gianna 
progress because she was really into basketball and, yeah. you know, was playing at the time. So that would have been really, really cool to see her go on. Cause I think even now I've seen a couple of like YouTube videos of her and she was already just like a phenomenal athlete. So, I mean, is it genetic? Like, did we miss the genetic boat? On <laughs> well, it? I, you know, I, I think some of it is, of course. I mean, you know, you're born into, you know, being a Kobe Bryant daughter. I mean, obviously, uh, you're going to have all that influence growing up and, and, you know, de- you know, to develop the skill. I mean, that that's part of it, but, um, but yeah, I think there's an inherent thing about people that are that good. I mean, when you look at professional athletes, um, you know, it's, there's a skill level there that's, you know, really, you know, most people can't match. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be really good in college, but to get to that next level is really, really tough. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Kobe, you know, players like Kobe Bryant and, and there's many others, but, you know, they're, they're just kind of an aberration. You know, they, they just are, you know, they're going to be great and they're going to be really, really good, kind of like LeBron James. You know, I mean, he came out of high school, was really didn't even look like a high school player. I mean, he already looked like he should be in the NBA. So you'll get those kind of guys. that The ones that really, um, you know, work hard at it uh, are, are disciplined, uh, they put in the time uh, and develop as players. You know, th- there's also those kind of guys that, mm-hmm. that have very, very lucrative careers in the NBA. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think definitely, you know, genes play a part of it, but also just having the the resource, unlimited resource. Like, you know, a lot of actors come from parents of actors and, you know, that sort yeah, of thing well, too abs- is just. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Pro golfers, you know, a lot of like, you know, Tiger Woods, the son, I mean, pro golfers, uh, you know, grow up with that. I mean, obviously they have, you know, they already have the country club memberships. They have the best clubs, the best teachers. And so it, it makes a big, big difference. You yeah. Know? I grew up around athletics and I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I could run a couple well, miles maybe if I'm lucky. Well, I know. Yeah, I, well, again, you know, I, I look at, look at myself, you know, um, you know, and I mean, I, I, I didn't have obviously wasn't good enough to play professionally at a, even close. But, you know, I worked very hard as a young, you know, in Pop Warner and Little League and and then, you know, all through my high school career playing baseball. And and I look back on it now, I spend a lot of time doing that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I probably developed the best that I could, but certainly didn't have the skills to go beyond. So I, I think, you know, hard work plays a big part of it, but you definitely have to have some kind of exceptional skill base to to take that next jump. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But, you know, I'll uh, give you one other quick story and I, I, um, about those – one other funny story to give you uh, <laughs> about hosting those exhibition games. So w- one year we were hosting – or the Philadelphia 76ers were in town. I don't remember who they were playing. Probably the Lakers, but <clears> – and <throat> Charles Barkley, you know, was on that team when he played. So he was and, – and I got to be good friends with the athletic trainer with the Sixers too – and Charles was in the training room getting taped ready. They were going to practice. And I had my UNLV jersey on. And, and you know, I never really engaged any of those guys. I just, you know, did what I had to do. And then I would, you know, walk out. But Charles Barkley must have saw my, you know, UNLV thing. And he's like, hey, man, you work with the Rebels? I'm like, yeah, I'm the athletic trainer. Oh, really? So he was joking with me. He's like, yeah, really? Hey, you know, go. Why don't you go call Larry Johnson and Stacey Ogman and Greg Anthony? Tell them to come on down here. We'll, we'll teach them how to play basketball because that's when 
those guys were there and they, they were really, really good. And, and uh, he said, yeah, give them a call. Just, I know they got to be just, you know, over there in the dorms, you know, sleeping. <laughs> Tell them to come on down here, you know, we'll wake them up. And, and I, you know, just instinctively and, you know, and I don't know Charles Barkley, but he, he took it very good. And it was kind of funny, but I said, well, Charles, first of all, I wouldn't call them in the dorm. I would call them in their condos and they would get in their Mercedes and they would drive <laughs> over here to, to practice. He's like, Hey, they deserve that, man. They deserve every bit of that. <laughs> yeah. And and that wasn't the case at all, but I just thought I would joke with him. But, uh, but there's another great player. I mean, you know, I, I had the opportunity to see him play professionally and in college. We played Auburn. Um, we traveled to Auburn one year and played when Charles, I think, was a senior. And we actually beat them down there. But he was like a one a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, he was – you know, again, not the greatest skilled player probably, but worked tremendously hard uh, and got everything out of his abilities and, uh, you know, obviously went on to be, again, have a great NBA career. But that was kind of another funny story. Yeah, about. that's awesome. He should have. That I honestly would have been like so epic if they would have came down. Like, <laughs> well, they, <laughs> they weren't going to come down. And then Charles, I know, you know, would have never thought they would come down, but he was just joking about it. <laughs> yeah. But, well, uh, we just wanted to do a little something, you know, since we are a sports podcast, we definitely wanted to recognize and, you know, a lot has happened since a year ago today for sure. I think we can all relate, but um, we definitely wanted to bring it back and bring some light back to Kobe. And, you know, we're wishing his family the best and hope they're healing up well. And I'm sure it's going to be a lifetime of that. So um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us for our special episode, but uh, we'll be back again this Friday. So um, we'll have another episode coming out this Friday. So it's a double double do ya this week for us. It's awesome. And again, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, and again, you know, uh, it, it, it's a great tribute to Kobe Bryant and uh, certainly uh, hope he rests in peace. <laughs>